From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, September 30th. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha's Dennis Price to hear about the new and growing opportunity in so-called refugee lens investing. Hi, Dennis, and welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Brian. Good to be back. And later, we'll share some highlights from this week's Agents of Impact call. But first, here's what you need to know from This Week in Impact Investing. A debt for nature swap in Barbados is unlocking $50 million for conservation and resilience. The Caribbean island will buy back some of its debt with lower interest loans from Credit Suisse and CIBC First Caribbean. The new loans are guaranteed by the Nature Conservancy and the Inter-American Development Bank. Barbados's savings will go into a trust fund for coral reef protection, storm management, and other conservation efforts over the next 15 years. AXA, the global insurance firm, is putting up 500 million euros into a natural capital strategy to invest in reforestation and land conservation. The goal is to help projects pay for themselves with carbon credits. Rising carbon prices are making many conservation projects bankable, even for institutional capital, according to AXA's Jonathan Dean. Impact investing in the United Kingdom has grown nearly 10x in 10 years. The amount of impact capital has grown from roughly 830 million pounds in 2011 to nearly 8 billion pounds. That's according to Big Society Capital. Social and affordable housing funds account for the largest segments. A big unknown is how the government of Prime Minister Liz Truss and financial instability in the UK will affect those numbers moving forward. In an effort to advance hydrogen power technology and drive down costs, the U.S. Department of Energy has allocated $7 billion to support up to 10 regional hydrogen hubs. The goal? Produce 10 million tons of clean hydrogen per year by the year 2030 and 50 million tons by mid-century. And finally, the Media Development Investment Fund is moving to support independent media in Nigeria. This is after last year's youth-led uprising against police brutality. The Media Development Investment Fund, or MDIF, has made a dozen investments to help local news outlets improve their finances and strengthen their independence. Among the first cohort is Prime Progress, a solutions platform that documents responses to Nigeria's humanitarian, economic, and social issues. The decision to hire and train refugees has been a very good decision for Livara customers seek out the services of our skilled workforce. So you find that our salon is known to have the unique Congolese kind of styles. We wouldn't be where we are today without the help of the refugees. That's Maxima Insamenta, the CEO of Lavara Cosmetics, based in Kampala, Uganda. Maxima's work with refugees is featured in a new video from the Refugee Investment Network which this week partnered with impact investor Acumen to convene investors, entrepreneurs, and other development practitioners in Nairobi to discuss the emerging practice of so-called refugee lens investing. I'm joined once again by Impact Office Dennis Price. Now, Dennis, you wrote about refugee lens investing this week, and it seems to have some momentum. Can you tell us what's at play here? Well, I think as we've seen with other lenses that have emerged in impact investing, think, think gender lens, think racial equity lens, you have a large and growing population in displaced people. Globally, that number has doubled over the last decade to to more than 100 million, um, which is a record. 
Um, so you have this large population whose economic role in the market in terms of resilience and skills and entrepreneurial capacity, um, and frankly, the scale of, of, of that population has really been undervalued. Um, and, and But at the same time, there's a demand from that group um, for essential products and services, for jobs, for the ability to earn a decent living, um, and for finance to start businesses that is really going unmet. Um, largely outside of aid organizations. And then on the other side, you have a group of investors and companies that are beginning to see that value um, and see that opportunity for what it is. Oftentimes, they um, didn't even realize they were investing in refugee-led companies um, or companies that are serving um, refugees, but have come to realize it and are now doing the research, connecting with each other, making connections, and, and trying to aggregate capital to do this more intentionally. So can you back us up a little bit here and, and just define what exactly is a refugee investment? So very practically, it's actually fairly simple. It's, a, it's a, an investment opportunity and a venture that is led by or that is employing or is servicing displaced people. Um, or it could be a fund or, an, or a lending vehicle targeting those ventures. Um, a group called the Refugee Investment Network um, actually, there's a six-part framework that investors are now using to assess and qualify deals along those lines. Um, and so, for example, Maxima, which, who we heard from earlier in Uganda, is building an entire franchise of beauty salons that is tapping uh, Congolese refugees as employees and, and gaining an advantage from that, um, as she shared. In northwest Kenya, in the Kakuma refugee camp, which is one of the world's largest um, encampments, um, there's a number of companies, uh, refugee ventures that are gaining traction. Um, so for example, Hydroponics Africa um, is producing and distributing um, hydroponic farming equipment in that region, which is water scarce um, to refugees, but also to host community members uh, to grow and sell food uh, more water efficiently. Um, there's another firm called Kakuma Ventures, which is uh, founded by a Congolese refugee that is uh, installing Wi-Fi um, and providing educational services inside the camp and also to host communities. Um, so this lens is it's very a practical way to identify investment opportunities, but also this identity um, that investors are using to come together. Um, and if you take a step back, it's a hugely valuable practice um, as more and more people become displaced um, from climate, political violence and other issues. Yeah, it's indeed unfortunate that the population of refugees is only seeming to grow. And it appears that East Africa seems to be a, a hub for this refugee lens investing, according to your reporting. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening there? Sure. Yeah. So and to start, there's millions of displaced people in the re in region, in, in Kenya and Uganda, um, due to political, and, um, to political violence and other issues in the region. Um, and the camps um, and the surrounding host communities have become hubs of economic activity and now test beds for this refugee lens investing. Um, and like you shared earlier, there's this summit happening this week, actually happened today. Um, the Refugee Investment Network has been studying the region, um, producing a whole series of country level reports um, highlighting the opportunity. Here's what John Kluge, a founder of the network, told me earlier this week. And what we do is we map the policy environment the demographic environment and the the entrepreneurial and investment ecosystem 
as it relates to the inclusion of forcibly displaced communities. There's a, the field of practice is basically taking root in East Africa, um, and we're planning on expanding into West Africa over the next year or two. And then there's investors in the region like Kenya Climate Ventures and impact investing firm Acumen, um, which are realizing with their lens of, you know, for example, investing in climate resilience or agriculture or other impact sectors in, in these underserved markets, that they're already very much invested in ventures impacting and impacted by refugees. So this lens is an opportunity for them to do this smarter, to do it more intentionally and to bring others into the fold. So, Dennis, help me understand what it means to be smarter as an investor focused on refugees. That's a good question. You know, I think, for example, these reports out of the Refugee Investment Network highlight things like policy. So a lot of the challenges refugees face, in, you know, when they're in a new country is, you know, basic things like are they able to get an ID? Um, do they ha- are they able to get a bank account? Are they able to work? And believe it or not, some, of, some countries um, restrict those things. Um, Kenya, for example, is um, a bit more progressive um, and and last year passed a law to enshrine more economic rights for um, refugees. So understanding that policy environment um, when you're going into a particular country is important, but also then the investor environment um, and then a pipeline of of, of ventures. So um, I think some of the work that is going on is understanding who already is in the region, like you said, potentially already investing in um, unintentionally in refugee ventures or, or, or ventures that impact refugees, um, understanding where those companies are, understanding the various models, you know, whether whether the impact on refugees is, is through employment, um, is it through a good and service. So sort of categorizing all of that, like you would do sort of in any um, market, here, your, your lens is um, that person, that displaced person who has a unique set of challenges, but also, you know, tremendous um, set of skills and qualities that, um, you know, has helped them get to where they are. Um, and actually, I think Maxima, who we heard from earlier, does a really good job laying out uh, the opportunity here. Let's, let's hear from her. Within the next five years, we hope to open up to 50 salons through the franchising model. So working with refugees is important for our growth plan and we shall continue investing in refugees. To others in the business community, I would say that the opportunity is there and the time is now to invest in refugees. All right, thanks so much for your reporting, Dennis. Very interesting to learn about refugee lens investing. And speaking of lenses to impact investing, This week's subscriber-only Agents of Impact call featured women fund managers from across the capital stack who are engaging in gender lens investing. They spoke of the challenges they're facing, but also the positive impact that they can make. What happens with entrepreneurs is what happens with female fund managers. Mm -hmm. We are over-trained and over-mentored and underfunded. And now we we need the conversation to move from we believe in this and we think there's something that can make a difference to really just putting your money where Mm -hmm. your mouth is. So yes, actual money. That's Africa Trust Group's Lalimba Piri. Despite the obstacles, her South Africa-based fund has managed to raise $10 million to invest in seed-stage female entrepreneurs. Another guest, Anna Raptis of Amplifica Capital, has faced similar fundraising challenges, this time in Mexico City. I see um, a lot of head-scratching about, you know, how do we get this capital 
to first-time fund managers. And as Lalemba said, just just write the check, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, understand what the risk profile is, understand that, yes, some fund managers are going to do really well and some won't, but when you put that across an investment portfolio, you know, you can turn out having some very good results. One of the more promising avenues has been development finance institutions, or DFIs, which have been the biggest gender lens investors in emerging markets, helping to unlock more than $10 billion through the so-called 2x challenge. But even they can be too risk averse to bet on women fund managers, most of whom are raising capital for the first time. Here's Lalimba again. We actually need to make development finance a lot more accountable. They can see, they're fully aware how development is massively driven by the SMEs and by the startups in any economy. And so just choosing to ignore a whole asset class, I think, is mm -hmm. actually unacceptable. And so if it's a conversation about not understanding the asset class, then let's have more conversations. Noted impact investor Suzanne Beagle, who is the driving force behind the organization GenderSmart, said better engagement of corporates and local pension funds is crucial to building gender-based finance in emerging markets. We need more partnerships. We need, you know, corporates together with banks, together with development finance actors, um, different constellations of players coming together. And there's some beautiful examples of that that have happened already. But building women's wealth. So building the wealth of women fund managers, building the wealth of women entrepreneurs um, so that they can turn around and then invest in the next generation. You can catch the full replay of this conversation on YouTube or on Impact Alpha. We'll have a link in our show notes. That's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Dennis Price and our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. Are you ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, which is free of charge, directly at impactalpha.com. Want to go deeper? Grab a subscription and get full access to the site, agents of impact calls, and the daily email brief. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. I'm Brian Walsh, Head of Sustainability for the capital markets firm TPI Cap. Until next time, take good care. <laughs>